like that. You want to try that. Logan Blackman, host of the world famous Logan Blackman Show. Know your ears and eyes do not deceive you. We are back live here on a Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I know, it, it's been a while since we've been consistent here on the program, but we are trying to get back, into, like we said on Monday, we're trying to get back on the saddle here, and slowly but surely, we are getting back on there in full force. But before we get into what we're going to talk about today, make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show one Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And, of course, the most important thing you can do is follow and or subscribe to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify accounts. Leave a rating out of five stars on both. Doesn't necessarily need to be a five-star rating, though. I would greatly appreciate that more than anything, just as long as you leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. And also, make sure to check out the LoganBlackmanShow.com where you can check out our latest blog post which we will have one out for you by Friday. And you can also check out links to the podcast, YouTube channel, and all those other things there as well. Now, we are sitting here on this Tuesday evening. It is 7.40 right now here on October 17, 2024. And we are sitting here watching the United States men's national team take on Ghana. And this is a game that is always exciting. I know this one doesn't have as much meaning as games in in the past, but the United States and Ghana have a nice little, you know, rivalry going. They have a nice little rivalry going. You look at the past two World Cups in general, the past, not the past two, the two of the last three, well, three, three of the last four of the World Cups the United States have been in, they have faced Ghana. It has been a very, very topsy-turvy rivalry, if you want to call it that. I think in 2006, they tied. I'm not 100% sure about the, the game back in 06 in the 2006 World Cup. 2010, obviously, Ghana beat the United States in extra time in the knockout stage. Uh, Landon Donovan almost said Christian Pulisic. Scored a penalty in that game in the loss. And then in 2014, obviously, John Brooks stole the game from the Jaws of Defeat for the United States in the 2014 World Cup after Clint Dempsey scored the fastest World Cup goal in the United States men's national team history. And it was funny, we brought up Christian Pulisic. He just got what looked like a foul. What looked like a foul, but the ref said played on. Oh, Florian Balogun with the shot, and it is easily saved by the Ghanaian goalkeeper. And this lineup, like this team in general, this is like... The first bigger games, I know they don't nec- they don't mean anything. They really don't mean anything. In the grand scheme of what the United States is trying to do, these games don't mean anything. Apart from playing top-tier opponents or upper-tier opponents versus what they usually play. They just played Germany the other day, which on Saturday lost 3-1 that game after Pulisic scored an absolute screamer from outside the box. Again, losing 3-1. And now they're playing Ghana. And the United States against these quote-unquote bigger teams have struggled. Under Burhalter. It is not any, you know, mystery why this team has struggled. The style of play they are under under Burhalter is not, you know, necessarily the greatest of all time. And it's very negative for all the exciting players the United States have at their disposal. It, it, it makes it borderline unwatchable at times. I'm intrigued to see what kind of game they put forth here against a team in Ghana that they should realistically beat. This is a Ghana team that, if I remember correctly, did not even make the 2022 World Cup. So this is a game where they really should, especially, I I say at home, it's in Nashville. It doesn't look like there's a ton of people on dis- in the stands for this game. But, you know, I digress. That's not really important to what we're talking about here. But the United States, back in action, hosting, obviously, a 2026 World Cup. There was reports last night that said Los Angeles and SoFi Stadium are no longer a host city. 
for the 2026 World Cup, which is insane to think about given that the final, the 94 World Cup, was played at the Rose Bowl, and now Los Angeles, now they could obviously switch stadiums and stuff like that. They could go play down at the new San Diego soccer team stadium. They could go play at the Rose Bowl, LA Coliseum. They could play at whatever Bank of California stadium. They could play at StubHub Center. I don't think that's what the stadiums are called nowadays where LAFC and LA Galaxy play. But they could play there. It's just it's hard to think about the United the the World Cup coming to the United States. Obviously, Canada and Mexico are involved as well. But would it coming to the United States? It's hard to believe that they would not have any games in LA. It doesn't necessarily need to be at SoFi Stadium. Obviously, that'd be the main attraction there. But apparently, and this is just from reports I've read, that Kroenke does not want to adhere or make proper adjustments to meet FIFA regulations for the 2026 World Cup or something like that. I could have that wrong. But it's just shocking to hear that, really. Like, I looked at it last night. I was like, ah, that's nothing. That's nothing. We were watching the LA Chargers versus the Dallas Cowboys game. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we were sitting there watching that. I saw it on Twitter. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. No World Cup in LA, in Los Angeles. Again, this is where the final was in 94. You can't tell me that we're going to have the next World Cup host of the United States, again, shared with two other countries, but shared or with most of the games being played in the United States. You're going to tell me there's no games in Los Angeles? Regardless of how you feel about Los Angeles, there there has to be games there. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I'm intrigued to see if how that changes throughout the as we get closer to the 2026 World Cup. Because again, we got we got time. It's not like he can't change his mind from that point now. Like the Bills' new stadium opens in 2026. Like there, we've got time for that. And it's kind of funny. The Bills actually called my dad the other day because we forgot we did this. My dad and I were talking about this, like, when they first announced the Bills were building a new stadium, which they def- they desperately need. They desperately need. I love going to Ralph Wilson. Not Ralph. <laughs> I love going to Highmark Stadium. It was Ralph Wilson growing up. I love going to Highmark Stadium. It's got a nice old school feel to it, but that stadium definitely needs upgraded on. And a new stadium is perfect, especially for the direction the Bills want to go into at this time is to build a new stadium, to upgrade. Like all the other good teams in the NFL, once you get good, you got to capitalize on it, and you got to build a whole new stadium. And it's just to the, I don't know the cardinal direction of where exactly it's posted on the stadium. It's pretty much right across the street from the old stadium. They, they start moving dirt there. They got the 30-foot hole dug. It's going to be a spectacle. But the Bills called my dad, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. The Bills called my dad. Because we said we were interested in possibly putting a down payment on for season tickets. Or talking about getting season tickets for the Bills' new stadium. And again, in 2026, we got a little ways to go. But they called and they're like, hey, we... Uh, and they didn't they didn't start off by saying anything like that. And my dad did the same thing when he called me about it. Because we're sitting there, I'm sitting here at my house. And my dad calls me and goes, hey, Logan, um, I guess who I just talked to. And I, I hate when people do that. I do this all the time as well. So I, it's not like it's coming from a place of, of malice because I know I do the exact same thing. Hey, dad, guess what happened here? Or guess which player did this? Or guess that? Or guess that? It, I do the same thing. So it, it come, it's a it's a passed on trait from father to son. But <laughs> the, he says, Logan, guess who called me? I'm like, I have no idea. He said, the Buffalo Bills. I'm like, what what the hell? What did the Bills call about? And he's like, well, I was sitting there. I was like, man, Logan, they're going to offer us like free tickets. They're going to say, hey, do you want to come to the next Bills game? Do you want sideline passes and all this? Do you want all this? We heard about your fandom and all that stuff. You want to come to Buffalo? You want to be a a guest? You want to go to the locker room and all that stuff? And all they were doing was saying, hey, we just wanted to double check to make sure you wanted to put down the $150 down payment 
for your season tickets. And this is for each person. So $150 per seat is what this is pretty much. So let's say hypothetically my entire family wants to go. So me, my dad, my mom, and my sister, if we all want to go, we'd have to put down $150, down for these season tickets. And we're obviously being in the state of Iowa, being in Des Moines, we are 13 hours away, 12, 13 hours away from Buffalo. It's not necessarily the most feasible thing to make it to every single home game. So a lot of those tickets would be sold. And who knows how good they are at that time. Maybe the tickets don't sell. Or maybe they're so good that you can't even, <laughs> that you, you're going to put an astronomical fee on them and no one wants to buy the tickets anyways. Because you know how like Ticketmaster's done all that really cool stuff, like, absolutely destroying the ticket market. But that's neither here nor there at this point. But it was just funny how he started. It was like, Logan, guess who called? The Buffalo Bills. And apparently that's what they did because he didn't see the, he didn't answer the phone right away. They left a voicemail and they were like, hey, this is David or whatever. I don't remember what his name was. Hey, this is David with the Buffalo Bills. Give me a call back when you can. Like that super vague voicemail just to see if you would donate $150 to $600 to get your season tickets or get a down payment for these season tickets. That's a pretty good way to go about that because as a fan, you're hearing that this is so-and-so with the Buffalo Bills. You're instantly going to call back. If you don't recognize the number, you wait for it to leave the voicemail. You hear it say, hey, it's Buffalo Bills. You go right back to calling them. But with it being so far away, like we talk about Stan Kroenke not wanting to make any changes to SoFi Stadium, not wanting to meet FIFA's regulations, maybe that has something to do with the turf. I have no idea. I, I don't even know. I guess if I don't know if SoFi is turf or grass. I guess I shouldn't I shouldn't speak on that because I have no idea. But a lot can change in that time. Like my sister's not in Iowa. My sister's down in Texas. Like you're, we're gonna go get season tickets, and we don't know where she's gonna be. We don't know where I'm gonna be. I would assume my mom and dad are going to be in Iowa, but Lord knows what the next two, three years has for all of us. Like, it's it's not really something you can nail down. If you're from Buffalo or live in near Buffalo, it's a lot easier to say, yeah, we'll put down the down payment for the tickets rather than someone who's 13 hours away now versus what happens, again, in how many years down the line. Who the hell knows? Maybe you can say the same thing for the people that live in Buffalo. Maybe they don't plan on being in Buffalo in two, three years' time, but the excitement around the new stadium is palpable. It's so much fun to think about the Bills playing in a new stadium. They have one of the oldest stadiums in the NFL. It has barely changed throughout its entire existence. Like you can look up pictures like Soldier Field when it was first built, Lambeau Field. There has been little to no changes to Highmark Stadium apart from the name. It has been Rich Stadium. It has been Ralph Wilson Stadium. It has been Bills Stadium. I think it was called Bills Stadium before it was called New Era Field. And then it's Highmark Stadium. And Highmark Stadium is going to be the name of the 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 new stadium, when they move over, move across the street, it'll still be Highmark Stadium. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited to see those Sunday night football shots. Again, if the team's still good, I'm hoping they're still going to be good by that point. But the, I'm going to love the Sunday night football shots of them going over both stadiums. Like the Bills Stadium is basically done. The new one's basically done. And you got the old one right next to a really nice give and go between Balogun and, and Serginio Dest. Balogun crossed about the box and Giovanni Reyna scores. Beautiful build-up play for the United States. Giovanni Reyna obviously rocking the bleach blonde hair like he did in the Nations League Cup final and semifinal where he played his best soccer for the United States, arguably. But great build-up play from, was it Balogun or Tim Weah? I can't really tell from over here. I couldn't tell. But it was down the right wing, and obviously Serginio Dest, very tricky player. He, him and um, Giovanni Reyna had some very nice connections down the right-hand side for the United States in those uh, Nations League semifinals and finals games. It was Balogun. Okay, that's what I thought. And Dest goes in on the inside, plays it back to Balogun, who takes a shot. 
I don't know if it was a shot or a cross, but the, the Ghanaian defender deflected it, landed right to the feet of Gene Vanderreda, who smashed it in for the goal. But with the Bills, going back to the Buffalo Bills here in the new stadium, there's a lot of excitement around that. And there's a lot of excitement for this new team, or this current team, I guess. And there has been for the past few years since Josh Allen's been a bona fide star in the NFL. There's been a lot of excitement for this team. But at times, especially recently, in the last two weeks, it has been very stressful. So obviously we had the week one game against the New York Jets. Bills lost that game. Josh Allen turned the ball for over four times. Doom and gloom was everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. Where do you talk to Bills fans or non-Bills fans? National media or Joe down at the corner shop? Like, you, it was all doom and gloom. Fast forward two weeks. The Bill, or three weeks. The Bills piss-pound the Raiders. They piss-pound the Commanders. And they piss-pound the team that everybody thought was the best team in the NFL, the Miami Dolphins, who just dropped 70 points on the Denver Broncos the previous week. And then now we're completely changed the narrative again where this team looks unstoppable. They have the second highest points differential in the NFL behind, just behind, like two or three points behind a team that, again, just dropped 70 the previous week and won by 50 points. And it's like, oh, this has changed. Josh Allen went from the first quarterback in the NFL to the MVP favorite. And we obviously talk about who the current MVP favorite is on Monday, so at least was on Sunday. I haven't checked since Sunday, but, or yeah, I haven't checked since Sunday. So who knows if that's changed since then? Time will tell on that one. I don't really care at this point in time. It has nothing really to what we're doing, what we're going to talk about here. And then after those wins, dominating wins against the Raiders, Commanders, and Dolphins, you go into the game against the Jaguars in London, and you basically, for lack of a better term, shit the bed. You didn't play very good. The offense was not clicking. The offense, basically, what I felt like, anyways, watching, reverted back to what they were doing last year. What is the one thing over the past couple years that I have complained about the most? With the Buffalo Bills. And I, the offensive line is the main one that people would point to. But the main, main thing I want to point at is the lack of run game they had. That has been something I've bitched and moaned about for a while when it came to the Buffalo Bills. They have had zero semblance of a rushing attack. I remember against the Buccaneers a couple years ago. Down in Tampa, the Bills were getting absolutely dominated. Josh Allen was the only person that carried the ball in the entire first half. And then the second half, it seemed like the Bills got something to go where they set up the pass to run. Or set up the run by passing. Usually, it's the inverse. You set up the pass by running the ball. But the Bills were setting up the run by passing. Because of how effective the Bills were in the pass game, that opened up a lot more run lanes for the likes of Devin Singletary and Zach Moss at that time. But it wasn't anything consistent. Josh Allen, if Josh Allen wasn't running the ball well, the Bills' rush attack was null and void. No one actually feared any of the Bills' running backs. And this year, when you've got likes of James Cook, <coughs> Latavius Murray... And you've got Damon Harris, who's going to be out for a little bit. Got a neck sprain, I think it was. Wishing a speedy recovery for him in the game against the Giants. That was all gone in this game against Jacksonville. What worked so well up to this point, James Cook was a top five running back in the league in regards to rushing yards. I'm not saying that he was a top five running back full stop. I'm just saying statistically, he had the fifth most rushing yards in the NFL. Or was at least top five in the league in rushing yards at that time. Against Jacksonville, I believe he had negative four yards rushing or negative two yards rushing or something like that. Like, the Bills as a team did not run the ball. They stayed away from the run. It was like, what what happened in the previous two weeks? What did we talk, or three weeks, sorry. Remember what we talked about against after the Dolphins game? It was like they were so, oh, Balligan. Nice cross from Des Balligan. Didn't get a whole lot on it, easily saved by the Ghanaian goalkeeper. Throws it out, and it's going to be a throw-in for the United States down the near sideline. But, like, everything that they did so well in that Dolphins game was like the most complete game 
Ken Dorsey had ever called in his time as the office coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. Like, it was a complete ass-kicking. And by all fronts, they dominated the game. Passing attack, rushing attack, everything offensively was damn near perfect in that game. And then you go to Jacksonville, and you're not running the ball. And maybe that could have something to do with the fact that they're trying to play from behind the entire time. Maybe that's because they go three and out the first drive of the game. That's a very bad start to the game for the Buffalo Bills, who, you know, did that last night or a couple nights ago against the New York Giants. We'll talk about that game here in a little bit. But they completely stayed away from the run. And it affected everything in their game plan. Josh Allen still had a very good statistical game, but it wasn't the greatest game of all time. And it was like, man, this is a game where the defense played really well. Given the injuries to Daquan Jones and Matt Milano, two key players who are both going to be out for the season, like you lost Trey White the week before, Matt Milano, Daquan Jones the next week. Like those are big losses, and the defense still managed to strip sack Trevor Lawrence twice. Like those, they had a good game given the circumstances of not having Matt Milano, who was probably the Bills' best defender this year. And a dark horse candidate, and you can call me biased, but a dark horse candidate for NFL Defensive Player of the Year. I'm not saying he would have won it, because obviously likes the pass rushers like Miles Garrett. You got TJ Watt. You got Micah Parsons. You got all these guys there as well. So I'm not saying that Matt Milano would have actually had a realistic shot at winning the award, but he could have at least been talked about in that aspect. He's not going to anymore because he snapped his leg. That's a big loss, especially on the second drive of the game. You lose Daquan Jones in the first drive. You lose Josh Allen, or Josh Allen, Matt Milano in the third, second drive of the game. Now, those are huge losses. The defense still played very well. A.J. Epinesa had the best game of his career up to that point. But then things didn't work out. And you can blame the red, You can blame the travel and you go like, hey, the Bills were there on Thursday. The Jaguars, they were told to stay up the entire day and then to get their body clocks right. The Jaguars were there for two weeks and do all that stuff. The turf was ass and all that stuff. Either way, you didn't play very good. You can use all the excuses in the world for how bad you played. They didn't play good. And going into this week against the Giants, they are 15.5-point favorites. I'll say that again. The Bills were 15.5-point favorites against the New York Giants. After losing, after a loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars, not a pretty lot. I mean, I understand they lost by five points. I think it was 25-20, I think was the score of that game. I can't remember. But coming off a loss, you're going at home against the New York Giants team that pretty much has everybody hurt on the offensive line. Their backups are getting hurt. They brought TJ, They brought Justin Pugh off the freaking couch, and he said as much in his Sunday Night Football introduction. They brought him in off the couch. His thing was straight off the couch. And not only that, Daniel Jones was hurt as well. He had a neck injury. So, like, every single facet for this game pointed to the Buffalo Bills absolutely dominant. And I said as much on the show. I said there is no reason this game should not be 35-3. Given all the injuries the Giants had and given how good the Bills have looked up to that point in the season minus the Jaguars game since the Jets lost, like there was like no reason in my head that that team couldn't absolutely dominate. But I shouldn't be as surprised. Like given some of the things that I look at now, oh, there's a penalty. There's a penalty. Tim Way has tripped in the box. Christian Pulisic, I would imagine, is taking this penalty. I would imagine anyways. I wouldn't be surprised if Balogun took it. Yep, Pulisic's taking it. He's got his hand. He took the ball from him. Fair. Giovanni Reina dribbles in the box, pass to Tim Weah, and, yep, not even close to the ball. <laughs> not even a real, not even a real argument from the player. And he just kind of stuck his hands in the air. He was like, well, like, do the, you got to do the, compl- dude's got a freaking Petter Check head hard on. He's got the helmet on. I've not seen anybody rock, I've seen two people actually rock that. Petter Check was obviously the goalkeeper for Chelsea for a lot of years. And one of my friends from high school, Sean, he had one of those as well. Those are the only two people I've ever seen wear those. But Pulisic sets the ball down, takes a little drop, 
We're in the 19th minute right now for the USA versus Ghana. Again, no real arguments. The only arguments that were had by the Ghanaian players was just basically to stall Pulisic. Little little stutter step there. We got an American flag with ice spice on it sitting in the front row. <laughs> Goalie's jumping up and down. Now he's staying still, spreads his arm around. Pulisic steps up, takes it right down the freaking middle. Easy. Goal, yes. 2-0. Christian Pulisic scores. Christian Pulisic, Giovanni Reina both score goals. Arguably, this is arguable. I'm not saying that I'm necessarily standing by this 100%, but Giovanni Reina and Christian Pulisic, you could say are the most talented players in the United States roster. You could make an argument for that. I'm not saying that is a 100% fact or anything. They're insanely talented players and two very important players for the United States. And I'm glad that Giovanni Reina is actually playing under Baral. They're given all the situation from the World Cup, but right down the freaking middle. That's one of those things that the goalie stands still, he saves it, and Pulisic looks like an idiot. But the goalie dove right out of the way, slotted it right down the middle, and he kicked it like right at head height, like shoulder, chest head height, somewhere around there. But hey, you take it, 2-0, 20th international goal for Christian Pulisic, goals in back-to-back games for the United States men's national team. Again, as we talked about earlier, having the goal against Germany and now against Ghana. And I didn't even think about this till right now. The United States is playing two teams that are in their group in the 2014 World Cups. They played Germany. They lost that game to Germany, won nothing, but that game felt like a win given that Ghana beat Portugal <laughs> and the United States was able to move on to the knockout stage. And obviously that game against Belgium happened where Tim Howard had basically stand on his head the entire time. But I didn't even think about that till right now, that the United States is playing two of the three teams that were in the group with them at the 2014 World Cup. And obviously the European teams are going over their Euro qualifications right now. England beat Italy 3-1 today. Uh, Scotland, and I guess Scotland and France was just a friendly. But Scotland beat Spain, I believe, the other day. Spain beat Norway today. But Scotland got absolutely pumped by France, which is fair. (laughs) France is the anomaly to all those teams that, you know, have all the... The team that wins the World Cup never makes it out of the group stage. Not only did France make it out of the group stage, they made it all the way to the freaking final. And we're so... Close. We're an insane Emiliano Martinez save from Randall Kulu Muani, sorry, from winning the World Cup. Like it's just a crazy thing to think about. And speaking of that World Cup, Messi was just named the eighth his eighth Ballon d'Or. Congratulations, Lionel Messi, on that. And what were we talking about with the Buffalo Bills? I don't even remember what we were talking about here. Oh, about the game against the Giants. But like going into that game, we talked about again 35-3 and all that stuff. Oh, Tim Way with the ball plays the Balogun. Balogun does a beautiful move. Oh, my goodness. For Laren Balogun, what a goal. Good Lord. Tim Weah, what a ball across to. Balogun did a nice little spin on the ball, spun the Ghanaian defender. Goalie is just on the ground, flailing for everything. No shot. He's saving that, and Balogun slots it home to put the United States up 3-0 in the 22nd minute of the game. And they played a great job by Jonas Musa pressing it as well. Dest pressed up as well. And then Tim Weah just stayed with it. Played to Balogun. Beautiful turn. Absolutely beautiful turn from Balogun. Great stuff. Great stuff. Most talented striker the United States has probably ever had. I shouldn't even really say probably, shouldn't I? I should just say he is. <laughs> this is the most talented the United States has ever been at this point in time. And that's what sucks about Greg Berhalter being the manager. But... Again, back to the Bills game. Let's hope they don't score again before we talk about what we're finished what we're talking about with this game. But with all those little factors coming into play, like the O-line being absolutely torn to shreds, with Daniel Jones being out, Tyrod Taylor making his return, one thing I did not factor in 
is that Brian Dable, the head coach of the New York Giants, like we were aware of Brian Dable being the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo. We knew that going in. But I didn't think about Dorsey, the Bills' current offensive coordinator, was under Dable in Buffalo. He was the Bills' quarterback coach. And I'm not saying that this was like a 100% exact science or anything, but Dable knows all the Bills' calls. This is, it reminded me somewhat, not like the exact situation, but when Gruden got traded to Tampa, and yes, I said a coach got traded, when they got traded from Oakland to Tampa, the Raiders kept their exact same plays. They kept their exact same calls and everything, so that is one of the most lopsided Super Bowls ever because the Bucks defense knew exactly what the Raiders were going to do. They had the MVP of the league in Rich Gannon, and you would not be able to tell looking at that Super Bowl. Absolutely abomination of a Super Bowl. The Bucks dominated, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But it's kind of like that. Dable knew every single thing the Bills were going to do. So every single set they had, Dable knew all the calls. He knew all the audibles. He knew freaking everything because I would imagine a lot of what the Bills run are a lot of the things Dable ran because Dorsey learned under Dable. <laughs> so I do think that had somewhat to play with it. But other than that, I didn't. the Bills played like ass given the circumstances. I know I've said that about, you know, Dable having all the plays for the Bills and stuff like that, knowing to properly to prepare, uh, uh, prepare the defense for this game. They still played bad. They still played bad. And it wasn't until the second half the Bills actually started to establish somewhat of a running attack. Like, they were not doing any of that in the first half. The same issues that I had with the Jaguars game or the same issues I was pretty much having in this game against the Giants in the first half. And then James Cook breaks off two 14-yard runs back-to-back, and guess what? The Bills don't run the ball after that at all. Or maybe they had one more seven-yard carry after that, and then they they end on downs. Like, there were so many opportunities the Bills had in this game. Josh Allen threw an interception, but it was kind of one of those crazy things where this is one of those things where all, inter- all interceptions aren't created equal. Not all interceptions are created equal because the placement of the ball was there. Like, it was almost a dot to, I think, Dawson Knox, if I remember correctly. Odess is playing over top. Beautiful ball over top. Pulisic's making a run in the box. Balgan's running short. Des plays the Balgan, and he tried to catch it on the volley and absolutely scored it. But Okereke, the linebacker for the Giants, he read it like a freaking book. Josh, his ball placement was there. And Okereke just stuck his arm out, broke it up, landed right in the arms of, I think, McFadden. Yeah, Micah McFadden from the New York Giants. Landed right in his arms. But I don't, that interception, I'm not really going to say it was on Josh. I don't really want to say Like, I've... I have complained about Josh's interceptions before. I complained about it against the Jets. Like I'm not out of I'm not uh, opposed to absolutely tearing Josh Allen apart. But that interception, if it if Okereke doesn't read it, which I know is a easier is a lame way to say that. If the if everything else goes exactly the opposite of how it happened, it would work beautifully. But that's how it is, kind of. But the first half, I don't the offense didn't look good. It it didn't look good at all. Uh, Josh was off on some of his passes. A lot of the placements were good, but, you know, not all there. Gabe Davis fumbled early on. They went three and out in that game as well. First play, the first play of the game was set back by a penalty. They had unsportsmanlike conduct penalties or personal foul penalties on the freaking kickoff. Both teams did. And speaking of that, we had, I, I hate the offsetting penalties rule in the NFL. I hate a lot of penalties in the NFL. Like, like pass interference being the by far the worst penalty in football. Like, Targeting is less of a penalty than a pass interference on some cases. You can have a 50-yard penalty on some cases. That is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> you have a complete game-flipping penalty, game-changing penalty, field-switching penalty, 
it's a 50-yard penalty. I saw some of those this weekend. Absolutely crazy. But I hate the offsetting penalties worse because they never make sense. Like, it's always two penalties that are not equal at all. Like, it could be a holding and a personal foul penalty and the penalties offset. They're not the same at all. They're not the same. In this case, there were four personal foul penalties called on one play. Four. Three of them were on the Giants. One of them on the Bills. They offset. How does three and one, how does that cancel out? Like, if we're having penalties like that, it should be the two Giants penalties cancel out. Well, the Bills would decline. You can't accept all three penalties or two penalties. So you would have to accept one of them. So you go into the you go into the penalty and they go like, hey, personal foul on, I think it was Thibodeau, Leonard, or Leonard Williams, and Dexter Lawrence. I think those were the three penalties. The Bills on Dawson Knox. Obviously, Dawson Knox's one cancels out. You can't accept the other one because you can't accept two penalties. You got to expect, accept only one of them. Connor had a chance there. Sorry for the pause there. But then you accept the last one. So you get at least one 15-hour penalty in the first half. Just offset. Three penalties versus one offset each other. That makes no sense. That makes absolutely no sense. I've never understood that rule at all. The only time it was kind of funny was when the Bills were getting absolutely schlacked by the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. And there were like <laughs> four on the Bills and one of the Chiefs they offset. It was like, there's a lot of math and we're just not going to do it. The offsetting penalties never make any sense to me. But what was funny about that play, especially since it was all Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Floyd were all focusing on Spencer Brown, and then Josh Allen comes steamrolling in there <laughs> and tries to defend his six foot nine, three hundred thirty pound offensive lineman. Josh, I appreciate you doing that. I think it's hilarious. But let's not run in there with your shoulder that you hurt on the previous drive. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. And speaking of Josh with the and penalties. I will say that rough in the passer penalty <laughs> was so funny. Like I, I saw the flag and obviously where the flag was coming from, you're like, Oh, they're calling rough in the passer. I didn't know what it looked like until they showed the replay and the replay came out like, Oh God. Yeah. That's, that's rough in the passer. That's, but I think there was also a defensive holding on that play, that play anyway. So I think there would have been a first down for the Bills regardless. But still, the fact that the roughing the passer was called was really funny given what it actually was. That, that, there was absolutely nothing there. I don't know if the back judge, like, I think it was Okereke hit Josh Allen on the play. I, can, I don't know if he, like, thought that Okereke hit Josh Allen in the head, which he didn't. But from the back angle, you couldn't see where his hand hit, but he hit his arm. I, I don't know. It was a very odd penalty. Oh, nice play from Dest. And he's fouled. Straight red. Clear path foul. Straight red. I just yelled. <laughs> Jeez, the ref made a beeline over him. But that penalty was hilarious. The rough and the passer penalty. And then, obviously, the penalty at the end of the game, or non-penalty at the end, or penalty, non-penalty at the end of the game. So we have a rough uh, pass interference call. At the one-yard line, Terrell Bernard, which was the end of the game. Uh, but we're ignoring the fact that Darren Waller initiated the contact initially. Darren Waller pushed his way back into Bernard when the ball was going to the right. Darren Waller went back into Bernard and then dove out to the right. So that extended the game. And then we obviously have the penalty in the end zone, which everybody was absolutely freaking out about on social media, which did not surprise me in the slightest. Oh, the NFL cannot have the Niners, Eagles, and Bills lose in the same week. Oh, the NFL's rigged, yada, yada, yada. Are we ignoring that Darren Waller had a whole handful of Taron Johnson's face on that play as well? Completely pushing off of Taron Johnson? <laughs> and I've seen two different explanations for this. Oh, Balligan? Oh, Balligan right into the arms of the goalkeeper. 
Could have been three. Could have been four. Two for Balogun, but in the end, Ghana's going to try and counter, which is not working. Thomas Party had to completely lay it off. Another resetting. But things I saw about that was that, A, the refs were scared to call back-to-back pass interference penalties, which the first one wasn't pass interference. You could have a case for the one on uh, Darren Waller. The one, the I guess the second one. The first one, no. First one, no. I'm not having that one. And then um, the other one was, this one was the more big-brained of the two ideas, is that the refs, uh, Darren Waller was actually just trying to separate from Taron Johnson, holding him down. Like, it's (laughs) still pushed off of him. Like, there's a clear shot of Darren Waller having a whole hand, a massive-ass hand on Taron Johnson's face like he's palming a basketball. And yeah, Taron Johnson's holding them. I'm not sitting here and saying Taron Johnson's not holding his jersey. I watched the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where they got, I still have the screenshot to this day, to this day, of Stefan Diggs' jersey getting pulled down below his shoulder pads. And no, no call at all. No call made at all. So I have really no sympathy for that penalty at all. I loved when people were bitching about it on Twitter because it's always funny to see on Twitter because it's always above 100 every single time a penalty happens or it doesn't call the NFL's rigged and all this stuff, yada, yada, yada. But, yeah, it didn't bother me at all. I'll take the dot. I don't think the Bills deserve to win this game. I think they played, like, relative ass this game. I don't think Josh Allen played particularly well. Diggs was really the only option for them in the receiving game. You look at the catches is one thing. Look at the targets. The Bills, Josh Allen threw the ball 20, 30 times in this game. Threw the ball 30 times. The second highest, let's start with the second highest for the Bills, in targets was Dawson Knox with six. I think you guess who the number one targeted receiver was. That is Stephon Diggs, targeted 16 times. 16 times. After the first game of the season, Sean McDermott said we're going to need more production out of our number two wide receiver. And that's big. Gabe Davis, Captain Gabe Davis. That's a lot of criticism coming from Sean McDermott. He's not usually someone that does that. We're going to need more production from our number two wide receiver. And having Dolan Kincaid there was pretty big as well. Obviously, concussion protocol. But, yeah, Diggs targeted 20, 16 times with 10 catches. Crazy game. I don't. They didn't play well. They didn't play well. And given the giant circumstances, given all the injuries that they had, I, I wouldn't be that, like, angry if the Giants ended up winning this game. I think that's much as what the Bills deserve. And like Josh Allen said at the end of the game, you hate him, but you love him because you got the dub. Just didn't look good. Looked very ugly the entire time. Gross game. Saquon Barkley was held to 12 carries for 12 yards. Early on, he finished with 24 carries for 93 yards. He broke off some massive-ass carries towards the end of the day. Back-to-back plays were the Giants' longest plays of the game. He had one long play, and the very next play, he broke that long play. It was funny. It was very funny. But, yeah, I'm not really having a lot of sympathy for the the non-pass interference, non-holding call. Because given what the Giants did at the end of the first half, you're telling me they would have actually scored if they got another opportunity? You're telling me they would have... Tyra Taylor checked into a run play when they had no timeouts with 11 seconds left. You're telling me they would have scored from the one-yard line if they had another opportunity? That was their play called then. They checked into a run play. the first. They had multiple... Two halves. You can't get much more than that. Both halves ended with the Giants at the one-yard line. Both halves. You're telling me they were going to score from the half-yard line or the yard line, wherever you want to put it at craziness but give credit to the Giants give credit to Tyrod Taylor give credit to everybody that was out there because given the circumstances yeah they really should not have been in this game the Bills should have trounced them 35-3 that should have been what happened here especially being at home 
wearing the red uniforms. The Bills are 8-1 and one at home wearing the red uniforms. They're just 8-1 and one in general wearing the red uniforms. Should not have any reason to lose that game. They piss-pounded the Dolphins. Easily. Easily destroyed the Dolphins. And yet they struggled against the New York Giants with their backup quarterback in. And then there's a conversation about, should the Giants go with Tyrod Taylor the rest of the year? Because Tyrod Taylor being a sixth-round draft pick and a journeyman at this point in time, I love and respect Tyrod Taylor for what he's done in Buffalo. But they've got a lot of money invested in Daniel Jones. A lot of money invested in him. So when he comes back, I fully expect Daniel Jones to come back and be the starter. Because Tyrod Taylor did not look bad giving that off the line. Maybe Dable changes up his systems and stuff like that to get Daniel Jones more time. But man, Tyrod didn't look bad. I give Tyrod, Tyrod all the credit in the world for that game. And it was fun seeing him back. It was fun seeing him back. He obviously was the quarterback of the team that broke the playoff curse. Yeah, I, I have nothing. I, I've seen Tyrod play live numerous times so I have no I have nothing negative to say about Tyrod Taylor apart from I don't think he's a franchise quarterback he's a solid quarterback solid oh there's Pulisic again and Pulisic kicked it right against the goalkeeper good counterattack for the United States though they're playing really well right now second half will probably change but you know that's how that's how Burhalter games go even if you're winning three nothing or you're losing two nothing first half will be fun second half will be terrible it's usually how <laughs> that's usually how these things work out but yeah Bad game. Really bad game. But take the dub. That's all you can do. Take the dub and move on. And this week, they got the Patriots. A bad Patriots team. Like, we're talking conversations. The Panthers were on what... The Panthers had no... didn't have no wins on the season. We'd be having a conversation about the Patriots being the worst team in the NFL. They're at least bottom three. Because the Broncos are still existing. So, you could put them up there as well. The Patriots are bad. And this is in Foxborough. This is in New England. And the Bills are eight and a half point favorites. I would only guess that's because they're Patriots at home. There's no reason the Bills should not win this game. And then I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say a score. I'm not gonna say a score. And we'll talk about this game a little bit more on Friday. But I'm not gonna go out and give a score prediction. But this is a game the Bills really should not struggle with at all. Oh, there's a th- brilliant through ball from Giovanni Reina. Pulls it across the box. Balligan. Defenders just sitting on the ball in the box. What are we doing here? I don't have any sound on, so this makes it a little interesting. <laughs> what are we doing? Are we having a direct free kick? These are hilarious that this is going to happen. Ghana can line up like everybody on the goal line. They're really funny. Go look up Cristiano Ronaldo scoring one when he was playing for Manchester United. The first stint at Manchester United. He can please stop the ball. <laughs> He's just sitting on the ball in the penalty box. Is this what we're doing? Are we lining up everybody on the goal line? Oh my God, please tell me this is what's happening. Please tell me this is what happens. We got Pulisic, Reyna, and Balogun standing over the ball. Ghana's got like eight people around <laughs> around Pulisic, Balogun, and Reyna. What is going to happen here? The three goal scorers are arguing for who wants to have their second goal pretty much. This is like... <laughs> I love these so much. You never see these happen. If this is what happening, I don't know if the ref called the penalty or not. I would highly... No, he didn't. Yeah. These are hilarious. I'm so happy this is happening. Especially since it's in a friendly and it doesn't matter for anything. They could sky this over the box for all I care. Yeah, look these up. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, look this up. Because <laughs> uh, these are hilarious. They line up everybody on the goal line pretty much. So we got Pulisic and Reyna standing over it. Now it looks like Reyna's taking it. <laughs> I haven't seen one of these in years. 
I honestly don't remember the last time I watched this happen. So yeah, we got the goalie in the middle. He hasn't touched the ball yet, Brainiac. I don't know what's happening here. I don't know who's taking this. So it was Reyna and Reyna scored. <laughs> so Balogun played it to Pulisic. Pulisic tapped it back to Reyna and Reyna scored. Like that was pretty much. <laughs> oh, I love those goals. 4 nothing, in the United States though in the 39th minute. That is funny. That is really funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's like, that's like the Giants-Bills game. It's just really funny in hindsight. He just passed it over him. I don't know if a Ghanaian defender hit it in at the end. Yeah, he did. Helped raise it. Almost got a almost got it over. But yeah, in the goal, United States up four nothing at the half, pretty much. Oh, they could score again. They scored a they scored their second and third goals like a minute apart, so they could definitely score again if they keep playing like this. But man, this is what the United this is what the Bills should do to the Patriots. This is exactly what the Bills should do to the Patriots. With how bad their offense is, there's no reason. I'm not gonna say a score. But there's no reason the Bills should... Like, the Raiders got absolutely pissed by the Saints 34-0 at home. At home. So I can't even really use the fact they're playing at home because they stink at home, too. Their only one of the season came on the road against the Jets, which is so crazy because the Jets have two wins against the Bills and the freaking Eagles. They ended the... Oh, they have three wins, sorry. I forgot they beat the Broncos. I forgot about that game because Brees Hall came back and... Played well in that game. I forgot about that one. But they beat the Bills and Eagles. Broncos, yeah, understandable. Bills and Eagles played well against Kansas City Chiefs. And the Patriots beat the Jets. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. And the Jets will probably lose to the Giants in two weeks. But you know what? That's fine. <laughs> the Patriots are bad, though. They're a really bad football team. I don't, I don't really know what more to say about that than that. They're just bad. And the Raiders are bad, too, which is why they only beat them by four. But good Lord, Josh Allen's questionable with a shoulder injury. It was funny when they send him into the blue tent, he sprinted over there and Kyle Allen had to hand the ball off twice. I think he passed it once. I take that back. He might've passed it once. I can't really remember. I tried to put that out of my memory. Oh, what a strike. Good Lord. What a save for Matt Turner though. It's like, Hey Matt, you should make sure you're there. (laughs) Make sure. Just want to make sure you're still awake. Got to make sure. Who was it that took the shot? Oh, Muhammad Kudos took the shot. I like Muhammad Kudos. I thought he was going to come to Manchester United. He played for Eric Ten Hag at Ajax, I'm pretty sure. I know he played for Ajax. Oh, we got Pulisic. What a touch from Christian Pulisic. Not enough speed to get around the defender, though. And, yeah, Ghana will see it out. 42nd minute, though, in the first half. Great touch from Pulisic, though. Playing really, playing with a lot of confidence right now. This front three, or front four, I guess, of Balogun, Pulisic, Reyna, and Tim Weah, that's the best attack the United States probably ever had like depth like just every they everybody's a threat there Tim Way is not necessarily a threat to score but he's so direct in everything that he does he's so athletic and Rain is just creative as hell Pulisic's playing great Balogun's a really talented striker like this team's really good I'm re- I'm really happy about this team I, I just hate the manager can't stand it but I did see something the other day speaking of the New England Patriots where the hell was it? I screenshotted it because it was really funny. Not that one. Not It was about Caleb Williams. It was about Caleb Williams. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay, here we go. The NFL is making a major mistake by allowing Bill Belichick to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. He will win multiple Super Bowls with either of them. 
I don't think Bill Belichick's got multiple seasons left, let alone multiple Super Bowls with Caleb Williams and uh, Drake May. Because I don't know if you know this, Mac Jones is not necessarily the biggest problem with the New England Patriots. Their offense in general reeks. Is bad. They have no offensive weapons. Like, they signed Zeke for no goddamn reason. I have no idea why Zeke's even there. I know he just hasn't played terrible this year. He's played solid at times this year. But still, that's not a Bill Belichick signing. I I don't know if he thought he was going to be like Randy Moss and going to completely rejuvenate his career. But Zeke had been on decline for the past however many years with Tony Pollard being the number one back in Dallas for pre, pretty much the past two years. Maybe three. Two, expect, two easily, but maybe three. Zeke's been on the downturn ever since. They had an offense led by Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, co-offensive coordinators last year. A special teams coordinator and a defensive coordinator trying to call an offense is not necessarily the best way to run an offense, especially when you're trying to develop a quarterback in Mac Jones, who was like, oh, this is the Patriots are bad. They got Tom Brady, the exact replacement of Tom Brady, and the Patriots still suck. If anything, this is the worst team they've had in my entire lifetime. I should say, if anything, it is the worst Patriots team of my entire lifetime. So, no, I do not care. I don't know if you understand this either. As a Bills fan, as someone that watched Tom Brady twice a lot regularly, but at least twice a year, guaranteed twice a year. I wouldn't watch every Patriots game, obviously, but I, I would at least watch him twice a year. He absolutely dominated the Buffalo Bills throughout my lifetime. And Belichick, guess what, was the coach of said teams. And now that Brady's gone, I have little to no fear of the New England Patriots. And that could come back to bite me. That could absolutely come back to bite me. So if Caleb Williams or Drake may go to New England, given all the other problems the Patriots have, I'm not worried. I worry about those two going there. I did see someone talk about the Patriots getting Caleb Williams or Drake may is like the, the San Antonio Spurs getting Victor Wambanyama, like a team with a legendary coach, legendary team dynasty and all that stuff like the Spurs way, the Patriot way, and stuff like that, and they get a generational prospect, and whatever you want to include, Caleb Williams or call Victor Wambanyama that the greatest prospect is LeBron James, like all that stuff, then yeah, I get that comparison, but I'm not going to sit here and say they're winning multiple Super Bowls. I saw a report earlier this offseason if the Patriots struggled again, Bill Belichick might be on the hot seat. So I don't want to sit here and act like, yeah, Caleb Williams is going to be the guy alone to right the ship in New England. And I like Caleb Williams. I really like Caleb Williams. I, I do, I we talked about this on Monday. I did kind of get upset when people became like prisoners of the moment. Like, oh, Pul- this guy sucks. Caleb Williams sucks in the United States halftime 4 nothing. Christian Pulisic popped on the screen. I don't know if that, I actually was about to say Pulisic. But Caleb, we're talking about Caleb Williams here. But kind of like prisoner of the moment type thing. Where he throws three interceptions against a top 15 defense on the road with a not very good defense in his own right. Forcing the ball, trying to trust himself a little too much, what can get you into trouble at times. No matter how good you are. Josh Allen, I talked about this Monday. Josh Allen gets in a similar similar habit. Trust his skills too much. He's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. But, hey, you know what? Sometimes talent doesn't get you everywhere. And sometimes you can force the issue. Caleb Williams done that. Patrick Mahomes has done it a lot this year. Josh Allen's certainly done it. So it's not anything that we're going to completely write off Caleb Williams because he had three interceptions in that game. Like, let's chill out here. But to say that he's going to win multiple Super Bowls with the Patriots, multiple Super Bowls with the Patriots, multiple. That's more than two. Multiple, because a couple's two. So we're talking three Super Bowls. Bill Jack's got three Super Bowls left in him. You're really, you're you're talking yourself into that one. Bill Belichick's got three, at least three Super Bowls left in him. 
And it's one of those fake insider accounts, the ML football account. We've talked about that account before, though. But it's always those weird accounts, very weird accounts that have no sources and then are trying to chat off like the Bible and stuff like that. But I did see something today. It was Rick Spielman, who is a former GM, former NFL GM. He went through a list of every... So basically what we did with Brock Purdy on Monday, he went through the entire NFL, every single team in the NFL, and said which teams he would take Caleb Williams over for their starting quarterback. He said he would take Williams over Peyton Manning and John Elway as a prospect. I don't know if you know this. Peyton Manning, I, revisionist history gets thrown out a lot with Peyton Manning. John Elway was guaranteed number one. Peyton Manning was 50-50 with Ryan Leaf. Like, let's not sit here and act like Peyton Manning was the guaranteed number one overall pick. Maybe he was. They'll rewrite history now and Pullian will go like, we always do is going to be Peyton Manning. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You had the whole conversation about which one was going number one, which one was going number two. There was no guarantees there. They talked about the entire offseason. Like, Andrew Luck is that guy. Everybody knew he was going number one overall. I know it's a similar situation to that of RG3 went second, but there was never a conversation of RG3 going second or first overall. John Elway was the best quarterback in the 1983 draft, went number one overall. Trevor Lawrence, same thing. And a quarterback in a draft that had three quarterbacks going the first three picks and five going the first round. Trevor Lawrence was always going to be the first overall pick in that draft. And that draft, we just talked about Mac Jones. It's been a, it's been a, you know, not as great of a draft class as everybody thought it would be at that time. But I wouldn't, Peyton Manning as like the GOAT prospect or one of the GOAT prospects, that's where it gets a little interesting. Peyton Manning was, I mean, Ryan Leaf was too. Both Heisman finalists, both lost in the year of Charles Woodson. Insane Heisman finalist category though. You got Charles Woodson, Randy Moss, Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf. That is one of the greatest, you could exclude Ryan Leaf all you want, but that is one of the greatest Heisman trios of all time. Charles Woodson, Randy Moss, Peyton Manning. Those are three NFL Hall of Famers right there. All Heisman finalists as well. Randy Moss went to Marshall. I'm pretty sure Marshall was an FCS school at that time. <laughs> they might have just made the switch up to FBS, but yeah. He said he'd take, here's the list that he would say he would take Caleb Williams over. So we'll go through the exact list that we have here. And it's just naming quarterbacks in the NFL. So I don't know how many there are listed. I just see a coherent list. It's all bullet point. It's not like numbered or anything. So starting off, and we'll agree or disagree with this, and you guys can play along as well. Current NFL quarterbacks that Caleb Williams would start over per Rick Spielman. Dak Prescott. Yeah. I mean, we had conversations of taking Brock Purdy over Dak Prescott. So yeah, I agree with that one. Mac Jones. Yes. At this current point, yeah, Caleb Williams is better than Mac Jones. Daniel Jones would be. Giants are tied down a little bit. Four-year, $160 million contract. A little sticky situation right there, but maybe they do try to do that. Um, Russell Wilson, yeah, obviously. Sean Payton, remember last year, talked about that there was going to be teams tanking for uh, Caleb Williams this year. And the Broncos are in that category right now, but Russell Wilson, similar to that of Daniel Jones, has a lot of money tied down to him. So we'll see how they handle that situation. Kenny Pickett, yes, I would take Caleb Williams over Kenny Pickett. Derek Carr, obviously, I would take Kenny Pick or uh, Derek, Caleb Williams over Derek Carr. Des Ritter, again, obviously, I would take Caleb Williams. I saw some today, actually. It was Pro Football Focus. I can't believe it was actually. I had to screenshot because it, it was insane. Waiver wire targets, week seven, for Nathan Jonkey. I don't know. It works for Pro Football Focus. Waiver wire targets. Daniel Jones and Desmond Ritter. Waiver wire targets. That's who you're targeting. Who the hell is targeting? Are you trying to lose games? Are you playing with friends right now and you're like, hey, guys, 
Like we have, there's, I'm not going to say who they are. I'm in five fantasy leagues this year. I'm in five of them. There are people in every single league where, you know, Hey, if I need a player, I can get a trade from them. I am, I guess I'm in six leagues. I got a fantasy hockey league as well. In that league, similar story. There are people in those leagues that you could go, Hey, I can do that. So there are people that he's probably got a fantasy football league with that are dumb enough to take Desmond Ritter or Daniel Jones in fantasy football. It makes no sense, especially when Desmond Ritter is playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm not taking that one at all. He threw three interceptions against the Washington Commanders last week. I'm not going to take Desmond Ritter against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. And Daniel Jones, if he plays, is playing the defense that just got three interceptions from Desmond Ritter and the Washington Commanders. I think Daniel Jones is better than Desmond Ritter, but given the -the off-the-line situation, Daniel Jones coming off of an injury... Who knows if he even plays? So we're not even guaranteed he's going to be in this game. So you're going with a guy who's not might not even play versus a guy who threw three interceptions against a team that allowed a team that the Bears and Justin Fields to absolutely torch him. You had DJ Moore looking like prime Jerry Rice against the Washington Commanders that week. Like, it was absolutely insane. And you're going to tell me to take a guy off waivers who just threw three picks against said team. No, we are not doing that. And obviously... I would take Caleb Williams over Desmond Ritter, who I have said numerous times might be the worst quarterback in the NFL at this point in time. And then commander's quarterback, Sam Howell. I think Sam Howell's done well given the circumstances he's in in Washington. I still, I've said this numerous times. I don't know how he fell to the fifth, but yes, I would take Caleb Williams over Sam Howell. Brock Purdy. This is another situation where if you're wanting an elevate offense, yes, I would take Daniel Jones, or I keep Daniel Jones. Caleb Williams over Brock Purdy. Yes, obviously. I think Brock Purdy's perfect for the decision. We talked about that before. I think he's perfect for Kyle Shanahan and all that stuff. And Kyle Shanahan's perfectly fine with Brock Purdy, so there would not even be a conversation of them drafting Caleb Williams, even though it would be the the logical thing to do. It's not necessarily what Kyle Shanahan wants or needs. So he's going to roll with Brock Purdy, but I would take Caleb Williams. Deshaun Watson, given that he hasn't looked the same since he got to Cleveland, he's battling an injury right now. Yeah, I would take Caleb Williams. Kirk Cousins, last year on his contract, aging quarterback. Yeah, I would take Caleb Williams if I was the Vikings right now. Matthew Stafford had a spinal contusion last year. Getting older. Yes, I would take Caleb Williams over there. Zach Wilson, obviously. Baker Mayfield, he's playing decent, but obviously. Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously. Jordan Love, I want to give him more time, but yes, I would take Caleb Williams over Jordan Love. Ryan Tannehill, we talked about in the Purdy video, or Purdy podcast, I guess. I don't like Ryan Tannehill. Yes, I would take Caleb Williams over Ryan Tannehill. Geno Smith. I like Geno Smith. I think he's done really well this past couple years. But I would take Caleb Williams over Geno Smith. Bryce Young. That's a little sticky one. I'm not going to talk about the rookies right now. Did I talk about any other rookies? I can't say that. <laughs> I talk about another rookie. I don't want to do that right now. And then Gardner Minshew, that's cheating. You can't put Gardner Minshew in there. I know I did that for Purdy. But and I know he's the starter right now. But that's cheating. I, I don't want to throw Bryce Young in there yet. I, I The jury's still out. You can't throw all you can't throw rookie quarterbacks in there. <laughs> He's played five games. I did think it was funny though. The Panthers released a video of him in a Spider-Man costume today, and so it was like this team's zero and six, and they're putting Bryce Young out there saying, "With great powers comes great responsibility," and like the cheesiest voice possible. Yeah, it's it's I I love Bryce Young. He was my QB one from the last draft. Awesome at Alabama, Heisman winner, all that stuff. The Panthers are struggling right now, and he's gotten the rookie struggles, which is obvious. I mean, rookie quarterbacks are allowed to struggle. I know we're in an era of football where we need, uh, what is it called, instant gratification, 
for how good our quarterbacks is. It's all because Justin Herbert. That's the one that really started everything because Justin Herbert came into the NFL after Tyrod Taylor got his lungs punctured by the doctor and broke every single rookie passing record. And since then, it's kind of been our quarterbacks need to prove themselves now. And if they don't, they're ass. So I need to give Bryce Young a little bit of time before I'm saying, hey, take Caleb Williams over. Obviously, right now, like if we were talking about this last year and Caleb Williams was able to come out of the draft last year. Yeah, I would have had Caleb Williams number one. So yeah, in that sense, yes. But I want to give Bryce Young a little bit more time because I would have had C- I would have had Caleb Williams over freaking C.J. Stroud as well. So it's not like and C.J. Stroud wasn't mentioned on that list. And given how C.J. Stroud's played, you couldn't say that at this point in time. But I want to give Bryce Young some time. Anthony Richardson, he's hurt right now. I want to give Anthony Richardson some time. I don't want to include rookies from this year. But like the other people that we haven't talked about here, and there's like, so what teams do we not mention? So we didn't mention the Bills with Josh. We didn't mention the Jet, the Dolphins with Tua. Eagles with Jalen Hurts. Lamar, Burrow. So there's five quarterbacks right there. Did he say Justin Fields? Did I skip over Justin Fields? He did not say Justin Fields. Oh, he didn't say Justin Fields. Oh, he did. I, I must have skipped over him. I did. Yeah, he was the fifth quarterback on that list. Must have completely skipped over him. Yeah. Uh, Jared Goff was on, on that list. At least, uh, did I skip over him as well? I don't think so. Jared Goff's been really good, so I'd be kind of surprised if he was on that list. But Jared Goff, there's another quarterback he didn't mention. C.J. Stroud, obviously. Trevor Lawrence, he didn't mention. Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. Did He didn't have anybody from the Cardinals, which is odd. Oh, he did. I just skipped over Josh Dobbs as well. I was reading too fast. <laughs> and, yeah. So, Allen, Tua, Hurts, Lamar, Burrow, Jared Goff, C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, Patrick Mahomes, and Herbert. So, there's 10 quarterbacks he wouldn't take Caleb Williams over. He would take over Caleb Williams. There's only 10, if I did the math right. Yeah, I think that's right. That's crazy, though. Like, given where Jared Goff was in L.A., given how they traded him to the Detroit Lions, had the second overall pick and all that stuff, and the Rams won a Super Bowl, and Jared Goff's looking really good. Jared Goff's looking like a damn good quarterback right now. But there's none I could really sit here and go definitively that you would not take over. The only one that would be, like, pushing would be Tua. But Tua's playing great. I don't want to discredit Tua right now. He's playing well. I do think it's fun. I saw a graphic today of... uh, it was. It, I love these graphics where it's like this guy's MVP numbers are better. Left is two up first six games of the season. Rice Paint Manning in the first six games of his first MVP season. 71% completion percentage, 1,800 yards, 14 touchdowns. Paint Manning, 68% completion percentage, 1,500 yards, 12 touchdowns. I always love those because Tua's not leading the NFL in <laughs> all, those, all those categories because Josh Allen has a higher completion percentage. Yes, he has less yards, only 1,700 to Tua's 1,800. May 150 more yards passing for Tua, a little more than that, and 16 touchdowns. That's not including rushing yards either. And I'm not Josh has not really run the ball a bunch this year, but I lo- like the the thing we talked about with Purdy. Like he's on pace to have this many more yards than Aaron, what Aaron Rodgers' last two MVP seasons. But he was ranked seventh in the NFL in passing yards at the time. So it's like, well, yeah, there's six other quarterbacks that are also on pace to do that. So it's <laughs> it's always funny hearing those types of arguments with that. But yeah. Tua's playing great. I don't want to dis- I don't want to try and discredit him. I saw Shannon Sharp said Tyreek Hill is the MVP for the Dolphins. I do, to a certain extent, agree with that. But I do think Tua's played well. I do think he has played well. He's improved a lot this offseason. He, he has improved a lot. But it is funny, though. This is, <laughs> like, 
I do say the Dolphins are a lot of, um, what do you call it, crossing route team, and that's what they are. I'm not, don't bullshit it. You know they're a crossing route team. Total yards after catch generated on passes behind line of scrimmage. Dolphins are by far <laughs> the worst, or the best. I mean, total EPA on passes behind line of scrimmage, total yak on passes behind line of scrimmage. Dolphins are far and away. You know the guy we've compared to, two of this season, Brock Purdy, they are not far behind as well. No, total EPA. Expected pass attempts, I would guess that that's what that means. The Chiefs are up there as well. They're up there. The Bills are in the lower category of that because the Bills do not do well with yards after catch. Never have been a good yards after catch team. Never have. Since Josh Allen's been here, the Bills have had the lowest yards after catch in the NFL. It's always throw it, dot, throw it, dot, throw it, dot. Ah, goodness. Yeah, Caleb Williams is pretty much, for a lot of people, the guaranteed number one overall pick. And I've said it since the offseason. I don't think that gap is massive between him and Drake May. I think Drake May is massively in number two. Like, in regards to who's number three, whoever you want to put at number three, they're not above Caleb Williams, or Drake May. Drake May is closer to Caleb Williams than number three is to Drake May, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that does, but to me it makes sense in my head. <laughs> but Drake May is good. Drake May is very, very good. And I'm intrigued to see where both of them go and see how the interviews and the whole combine process goes. Because... You know, maybe this surprises people. Maybe Drake May goes before Caleb Williams. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I definitely wouldn't rule it out. Definitely wouldn't rule it out. And uh, with uh, Drake May, one quarterback he often gets compared to is Justin Herbert a lot, given his demeanor, given some of his skill sets, but mostly demeanor and number helps as well with Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert and the Chargers lost last night to the Dallas Cowboys. And I think Justin Herbert's a great quarterback, but he did not have his greatest game last night. He did not. And there was one throw to Keenan Allen in particular that he should have had. He obviously threw a pick at the end of the game, which some people, not a lot, a little bit less or a lot bit less than what we saw for the Darren Waller situation, calling for pass interference on Stephon Gilmore on that play. But the Chargers lost. In Kellen Moore's revenge game, the one of the more unwatchable games of the season, 20-17, <laughs> Dallas Cowboys came out on top of the LA Chargers. And with this, I don't really want to focus on the game here. What I want to focus on was the super fan for the Chargers. This has been dominating social media since last night. It is 8.40 on October 17th right now. This has been dominating social media since about 8.40. Like, it's probably later. It's probably about 10 o'clock last night. But still, it has been dominating social media. She was on TV like multiple times throughout the game. Towards the end of the game, I should say. And everybody and their mom was talking about social media because everybody's like, no Chargers fans act like this. She has to be a plant by the NFL given how... Uh, ecstatic, I guess, how out there she was with her celebratory motions for the Los Angeles Chargers. And they were like, nobody cheers the Chargers like that. And uh, it's funny because she was on Pat McAfee's show today. So there's like conflicting reports about what this lady actually is. Like someone tweeted, the NFL hired this lady to pretend to be a Chargers fan. Wiley overanimated saying, get him when the Chargers are on offense. Show over and over again, overwhelming majority of Cowboys fans at SoFi clearly wearing a brand new uniform. I... The brand new uniform, I don't, that has no, I don't know why that's been a continuous talking point with this because people buy things at the games if they don't normally go to games. And apparently she's had season tickets there. I don't know. I don't know this lady. I don't know the backstory at all, but people buy jerseys at games. It is a, it is a weird thing that happens, but people do tend to buy new jerseys at games. And so when Tom Palacios and Starry Conspiracy Theorist, the Chargers fan, went viral on Monday night or her husband, her and her husband are season ticket holders for Brent. 
Cabana Suites every se- every season for multiple games. I'm told they are diehard not diehard fans, not actors, and want to get the world out. And then she said she's been a Chargers fan ever since she moved to L.A. or moved to California 20 years ago. And there's a picture circulating around of her cheering on the Vikings at a Vikings game with her face painted with skull painted on her forehead wearing an Adam Thielen jersey. I have no idea what this thing is. I have no idea how to even really comment on anything about this situation because it's kind of just funny. I have no, (laughs) regardless if she's a plant or not, I think her acting like that's just normal fan. But the fact people think it's a plant because the Chargers is kind of funny. So, yeah, there's that. But it's just always fun. It's always fun. And, and while we're on the topic of L.A., I did see this little tidbit today. Is that the NFL is experimenting with an idea of playing the Super Bowl over in London. Good Lord. Can we stop with these overseas games? Can we please, please stop it? I really am tired of it. Uh, this is somebody that has never been to a European game, has never had the interest of going to a game over in Europe regards to the NFL. I obviously want to go to a soccer game, but as regards to the NFL goes, I have no interest about it. I don't like getting up early for these games. Just stop it. I understand you're getting a ton of money from it because like we've talked about before, remember a couple years ago we talked about the Super League where it's like you're playing all these massive games over here in the United States because you're going to get new people every single week. You're going to have season ticket holders because one thing season ticket holders don't do normally is buy a shit ton of stuff from the stadium store. I know we're talking about this chick. This is why it makes it kind of funny because people do buy stuff from stadium stores, but it's usually not season ticket holders. That's the thing I would like to point out there. But you don't get a lot of new sales for this kind of stuff. Like when my dad and I go to Bills games in Buffalo, like we're we're in the team store. Like, oh, what would my sister like? What would my mom like? What would we like? Let's get something. Let's buy a bunch of stuff. Let's get all the souvenir cups and all that stuff. If you're a season ticket holder, you've got your season ticket and you're just going to go watch the game. That's pretty much it. There's no new income coming in for these NFL teams that are struggling and desperate for new ways to get money. And going over to London gets that because as you've seen in these games, there are people who are wearing all different types of jerseys at these games. Like there was a dude last week wearing an Arizona Cardinals Kurt Warner jersey. That guy could have been a plant given the game was on the NFL Network, but that's not important. Either way, there's a lot of different jerseys, a lot of people that don't watch the NFL. Like, hey, I've never really watched this. Let's all go down in this game. Let's just see it. Let's see what it's all about, and we'll figure out if we like it or not afterwards. Like, that's the money-making mentality. You play the Super Bowl over there? Come on, man. I have no interest in going to the Super Bowl. I really have no interest. It's never It never intrigued me because of the fact it seems more corporate than anything. So just to fit that makes sense for the NFL in that aspect. But don't do it. Come on, guys. Really? Really? Let's stop with this stuff. It's getting old. I'm sick and tired of the hearing the relocation things. Like, I saw some today. It was on part of my take, so a lot of it was tongue-in-cheek. But talking about the... This is a front for Roger Goodell in order to go, hey, the Jaguars are actually moving to London. So we'll see if that happens. Maybe them playing two games over in London was their test to see how good they would be over in London so they could properly test how teams would fare having a whole couple weeks there versus going over there and playing for or being there for a couple days and then playing on Sunday. I don't know. All I know is that this relocation stuff, this expanding the... Oh, Tim Way almost had a goal there. The second half started, by the way. I'm sorry. Like, I understand you're trying to grow the sport and stuff, but come on, guys. They do not care. It's people that have never watched an NFL game are just intrigued by it. It's a nice, what do you call it? It's a nice, um, geez, he really should have had a goal there. Close. It's a nice novelty idea. It's a nice once-in-a-while idea. It's not something to do every single week. It's it's not. I understand they built Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to allow the NFL to play there, but from everything I've read, that turf is ass. 
So let's not continue to do that. I saw Garrett Wilson complain about the Jets turf the other. I've never seen a player for the team that has the bad turf complaining about the turf. That could change things. I doubt it, but you know, it could change things <laughs> for the NFL to go to all grass fields, which is definitely something that could happen. But like could like could in regards to it's feasible, but not in the aspect of the NFL will actually do it. They they won't go every single stadium turf, but you know, I, I just thought it was funny hearing a fact that a a player of the team that has one of the worst stadiums in the league in regards to the turf fields is complaining about the turf fields. I've never heard that before. I've never once heard that. And everybody knows the Jet Stadium turf sucks. Everybody knows that. Like, it's common knowledge at this point that it sucks. But um, do I have anything else I really want to talk about today? Not necessarily. The throw from Josh Allen to Quentin Morris for the touchdown was insane. I guess that's something I didn't really touch on earlier. I saw this, uh, Jim Harbaugh say J.J. McCarthy has shown to be on the path to be the best Michigan quarterback in Michigan history. I saw some brainiacs in the comment section going, does Tom Brady not exist? Well, Tom Brady wasn't, isn't the greatest Michigan quarterback of all time. He's the greatest quarterback to ever come from Michigan. He's not the greatest quarterback of all time at Michigan. I don't even know who you would really say is the greatest Michigan quarterback of all time. It's the same conversation like Kurt Warner. Like He's not the greatest U and I quarterback of all time. He's the greatest quarterback to play for you and I. But he's not the greatest quarterback to... And it wasn't at you and I where people knew he was the great. He almost quit football. It took Brenda getting him back into football. Just stick it out. And then go to the Barnstormers, NFL Europe, all that stuff. Tom Brady was good at Michigan. I don't want to make it sound like he was ass at Michigan. He wasn't ass by any standards. But he wasn't great. He wasn't Tom Brady like we know him now at Michigan. He was just a normal college quarterback. Oh, we got Ricardo Pepe with the ball. The good plays to Tim Weah. Tillmeyer dribbles up to the right, passes inside. Who took the shot? Was that Aronson? Oh, no, Johnny Cardoso with the shot. The Canadian goalkeeper got a little too comfortable there. Pepe pressured him. Just too big of a touch there to get away from the goalkeeper. But I don't even know who you would say is the greatest Michigan quarterback of all time. Like Chad Henney? And Jim Harbaugh obviously has a stake in that as well, but... I don't know what Jim Harbaugh... I don't remember... Obviously, remember Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Is there any other quarterbacks that I'm like completely forgetting about that could be considered the greatest quarterback of all time in regards to Michigan football? Great. Let's just search that. Let's see what they say. Greatest... Michigan... Of course. I can't spell either. Michigan... Quarterbacks. Tom Brady's going to be the first one that pops up. Yeah. Chad Henney, Jim Harbaugh, Denard Robinson. Yeah. Brian Greasy, who was there before... Tom Brady. Drew Henson was played it for Michigan State. He's not even a Michigan quarterback. Top 10 quarterbacks in school history. This is from Bleach Report, so we know this is going to be a really good one. This is from 2012, though. Elvis Graback is there. Tom Brady there. Okay, Tom Brady at 9. I was actually expecting them to put Tom Brady at 1. Tom Brady at 9. That's fair. Uh, Robert Timberlake, number 8. John Navarra. Navarra at number 7. Chad Henney at 6. Dennis Franklin. Harry Newman. Jim Harbaugh. Rick Leach, and I have no idea who's going to be number one. Benny Friedman, yeah, good on you. Played 1924-1926. I think that's not far off, though, J.J. McCarthy being in the conversation for best Michigan quarterback of all time. I don't really think that's out of the question. I'm not saying now, but I think once his career's done, you could have that conversation. Bad back pass from Jonas Musa. Gonna trying to counter. Good track back by Dest. Played on the right side. Lund comes back to press. Cross about the box, and it goes out of bounds. But I think there could be a conversation once it's done, but not right now. Not right now. And that's what Jim Harbaugh said. He's shown to be on the path. J.J. McCarthy could come back. 
he really could come back. Next year's class could be very interesting with Stewart possibly coming back, J.D. McCarthy possibly coming back. You got because you got Michael Penix leaving because he can't. He has to leave. Uh, Caleb Williams is probably going to leave. I mean, you know, he's toyed with the idea of not leaving, but Drake May is going to leave. Fairly confident Drake May leaving. Uh, Bo Nix will leave. Jane Daniels will leave. All those guys are just seniors because they have to. But, you know, there could be some pri- some surprises. There going to be some surprises there. I saw a list also before we end it. Week 8 college football rankings, FBS through D3. Yes, you jerks request it. So here we go. 1 through one or one through 665. Pittsburgh State. Yes, Fitchburg, not Pittsburgh State. Fitchburg State is the lowest rated team on this at number 665. And Michigan is number one on their list. The projected spread of that game is minus 156. We got some Iowa schools in here as well. You know, the Iowa Hawkeyes are going to be in here at number 38. There's one FCS school in the top 30, or in the top 50, I should say, right? Yeah, top 50. And that is South Dakota State. I think that's fair. They're coming at number 29. Iowa State comes in at... Where's Iowa State? Did I miss a number? And to my knowledge, it's some random guy. I don't I don't know the exact specifications. Oh, Iowa State's at 41. So we got Iowa at 39, Iowa State at 41. Or 38, Iowa, sorry. Iowa State at 41. Let me scroll a little bit more. Let's look first. So now we're in the FCS schools now. Where do we think Northern Iowa is going to come in at? I did look at this earlier, but I didn't look hard enough, I guess, because I don't remember exactly where Northern Iowa is. Obviously on here because it's all the college football schools. College football teams, actually. Sorry. Where's Northern Iowa? It, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I'm not going to go through that entire list. I might talk about that again when someone else on the show, but, you know, for that, we're going to leave it here, and I will see you guys later. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I sincerely apologize. It'll probably be better next time. And with that... Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of the week. We will see you on Friday. Peace.